In early September, Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced the reform of the energy system to aid Australia's economic recovery from COVID-19. Much of this announcement focused on gas as the key to stimulating manufacturing and investment in Australia. But is this really the case? And could Australia be missing an opportunity to move to more renewable energy sources? I'm Kat Clay, the Head of Digital Communications at Grattan. Today we're lucky to have not one but two energy experts, Tony Wood, the Energy Program Director, and Guy Dundas, Energy Fellow, to shed some light on these announcements. Welcome, Guy and Tony. Hi, Kat. So, Tony, we'll start with you. It's been a big couple of weeks for you in the program. Can you take us through what's been going on? Well, I think the, the best way to assess this, Kat, is that in the last 10 days, the government's announced big things in relation to four areas that have been troubling them for quite some time, and they've all come together, I can only assume, to some extent, deliberately. And those things were, firstly, there's been a concern that Australia runs far too close to the bone in terms of our oil reserves, our diesel reserves, those sorts of things. And the government, um, this is not the first government to have to try and do this. This government has now moved to try and provide some better security around our strategic oil reserves. The second thing is the government's been concerned about um, uh, the role of gas being too expensive and the potential for gas to provide one of the key economic stimulus uh, mechanisms for a post-pandemic recovery. The third thing, uh, an issue that's been plaguing them for probably the last three or four years is what happens when AGL closes the large coal-fired power station called Liddell in the Hunter Valley and what does that do to reliability and should the government do something about it? And then finally, the government recognised that um, there is a role, particularly beyond the electricity sector, will go up to support funding and financially support projects that in technologies that have the potential in the long term to seriously make a contribution to our emissions reduction targets and strategies. And so all these four things were announced this almost within a week. Um, two of them at least represent good, sound policy, that is um, putting in place a mechanism to ensure we have the appropriate um, insurance against running out of uh, liquid fuels and only a government can probably set that sort of standard. And secondly, the idea of governments playing a role in uh, supporting new technology, particularly where significant amounts of money are involved in research and development. Again, it's a very strong role for governments. The other two areas would be more concerning from our perspective where they tend to represent governments either directly or indirectly intervening in the market. And most likely, our observation and our concern would be that those interventions in the market are more likely to lead to the opposite of what the government's hoping for. What I mean by that, Kat, is that they may very well make the very problem the government's looking to solve, they may make, may make that very problem worse. So one of the key concerns of the government with this is around electricity reliability, and we all remember those periods of the summer blackouts. Are they right to be concerned about this? Well, interestingly, all this is happening, Kat, at a time when electricity prices are heading down partly driven by gas prices as well. We're also seeing emissions coming down in the electricity sector, nothing to do with COVID, mostly to do with a change in the supply mix. And thirdly, um, not only is the reliability right now looking pretty good, but based upon the projections of the Australian energy market operator, whose job it is to be concerned about reliability, they don't see any concerns about reliability the rest of its decade. 
Now, if you impose a very a much higher reliability standard than the one we've been using, which they've tried to do, then you do see the potential of a modest gap in New South Wales. But even that could easily be addressed by a, a single gas-fired power station. And when Snowy Hydro 2.0 comes on stream, um, that gap will almost certainly disappear. Our, our assessment overall would be, look, reliability is actually pretty good at the moment, and governments um, have really little to worry about in terms of that, that, that uh, future. They might need to think about making sure that the market has the appropriate mechanisms to respond to, for example, the early closure of a coal-fired power station. So I guess the summary would be, we think their concern about reliability is probably almost certainly overblown, and the way they're proposing to intervene in the market are actually more likely to spook off or spook the private sector investors who would make the investment to address the very problem they're worried about. Thanks, Tony. We'll get a little bit more into your recommendations for government and what they should do next um, in a little bit. I want to just touch back on some of the announcements from Scott Morrison, um, especially the gas industry recommendations, and it's the implementation of reforms to the gas industry. Guy, you just happen to be writing a report on gas that will look at these claims. One of the primary gas reforms is to bring down the prices. So, Will these reforms actually work? Thanks, Kat. Yeah, we've been looking at it, and and this uh, this move by the government has been foreshadowed by some t- for some time. So the National COVID Coordination Commission has had a real focus on gas, and they've been talking about various reforms that could potentially bring gas prices down. Now, historically, or in the last couple of years, um, gas prices in eastern Australia have been in the range of about eight to ten dollars a gigajoule. And uh, the National COVID Coordination Commission has set a stretch target of getting them as low as $4 a gigajoule. And clearly those lower uh, gas prices would would flow through and help gas users in in industry and and in the household and the power generation sector. We think the issue is really that those ambitions are just not realistic and the reforms that have been put on the table um, are are unlikely to achieve those aims. And there's a danger that in trying to um, really push gas prices down, we'll just see uh, the government putting taxpayer money in to effectively subsidise the gas industry and, and and both gas producers and gas users. And, and clearly, we don't think that would be a, a good use of taxpayer money, particularly in, a, in the post-COVID environment where um, really there's many calls on government revenue to help stimulate the economy. So um, what we've really seen in the last week is, if you like, a series of announcements foreshadowing a range of actions And it's unclear at the moment whether they'll end up being fairly modest in scope or whether they'll actually end up being very, very large with a lot of money um, behind them in the the medium term. So what's on the table, what's been announced in the last couple of days is quite modest. We're looking at about $50 million in money that's been committed essentially to develop a set of plans. So one of them is around uh, new gas basins, so effectively new sources of gas supply. And another is around gas infrastructure, primarily pipelines. So, you know, they're going to look. The government is going to look at these uh, studies. What is unclear is what policy mechanisms might follow that to identify and support, if you like, priority investments or priority gas uh, basins that might come out of those studies. Now, what we have in Eastern Australia is that. Um, gas is increasingly expensive. Uh, We've used up a lot of the cheap gas reserves over time, and and that makes sense. Of course, you would start by developing the cheapest gas uh, reserves first, 
And we're now looking at things that are either more expensive or, or further away from where the customers are. So we think there's a real danger that um, the government will do these plans and identify potential investments that won't be economic um, or that will, um, if you like, require lots of subsidies to get them over the line and that these relatively cheap plans might lead to some very expensive taxpayer-funded underwriting in the future. So, Guy, the second part of that proposal is around manufacturing jobs with the claim that 225,000 jobs rely heavily on gas. What's your take on that? Yeah, so, um, you know, you can kind of see these as, as working together. So I guess the government's argument is that we'll take action and we'll drive down gas prices and that will have a big benefit to manufacturing and flow through to lots of jobs in that gas-using industry. Uh, as I uh, argued before, uh, we think the first claim that the, the government can really effectively drive gas prices down is, is dubious and, and could lead to some quite expensive and quite bad policy. But even if it did work, we think that the benefits have been oversold. So this 225,000 jobs number is really interesting. It was highlighted by the Prime Minister in the announcements uh, during the week. And, and let's think about what heavily reliant on gas means. I'm, I'm not sure if you sort of have an idea in, in your mind about what heavily reliant is, but I don't think that an industry that, say, where gas makes up about 1% or less of its input costs could really be described as heavily reliant on gas. Um, and that's what we find when we do our research. We find that the vast bulk of these 225,000 jobs are really not that reliant on gas, and that actually there's a very small sliver of industry that is very heavily gas intensive. So just to give you a few numbers, we think that there are about 10,000 jobs in very heavily gas intensive industry in Australia. Um, those, uh, those jobs are in just 15 facilities, and those facilities use about two-thirds of all of the gas used in manufacturing. So that's 10,000 jobs out of the 850,000 jobs in the whole Australian manufacturing sector. Um, so clearly a very small sliver of that industry. When you move beyond those 15 facilities, what we find is that people are progressively less and less uh, gas-intensive. There's kind of an intermediate category, uh, and those they, they tend to be things like glass manufacturers, uh, brick manufacturers, some cement manufacturers, um, some pulp and paper product manufacturers, uh, but they're much more in the range of sort of 3%. And then the vast bulk of manufacturing is really not very gas-reliant. So we just think that, that the vast majority of the benefits of any gas-focused policy will flow to the, that very small sliver of industry that is very gas-reliant. It sounds like they've been very generous with their estimate of what constitutes a heavily reliant job on gas. Yeah, look, that's our take as well, Kat. And so to be clear, I mean, those 10,000 jobs, those industries, um, you know, do care very much about the, the price of gas. And of course, uh, we here at Grattan and, and people in the government, people really around the energy sector are very keen to see that gas market work efficiently and get prices to customers that are, are fair and that reflect the cost of production. But if we do get down the path, that very expensive path of effectively subsidising gas production through what's often slightly euphemistically called underwriting, um, then what we find is that really we're just um, pumping a lot of support into a very, very tiny sliver of the manufacturing sector, which is itself a small part of the overall economy, about 6% of the overall economy. So in the post-COVID world, where we really need to be careful about targeting our resources to where they'll be of most value, we just don't see a lot of value in, in focusing on gas to the extent that the government has been. And that leads me into a really important question that 
if we're not going towards gas, um, where should be, we be going? And I might get you to answer that, Tony. Should we be heading, uh, transitioning to renewables more? Will that help us stimulate the economy more post-COVID? What are your recommendations there? I think there are, there are two things about this thing called post-COVID economic stimulus. One is that what you want to do is things that are going to have a relatively significant economic impact in the short term. And as Guy's explained, that's unlikely to happen with gas for the reasons he's described, but also because even the things the government's announced won't deliver an economic stimulus in the short term. And secondly, we should be thinking about those things that are broadly consistent with a lower emissions future. And to turn towards gas is going back to the past. What we need to be doing is moving away from gas because gas is a fossil fuel. Now, gas in certain roles will be around for a while yet, possibly, for example, in the in the role of balancing wind and solar in our electricity system, but ultimately the role of gas. Gas will leave the stage in terms of being a major player in our movie, and so we have to think about where we move to. So gas is not the answer. Um, now, I think what we now have to think about, and this is where I, my comment earlier about the government's support for technology is, is valuable, and that is we do need to broaden the debate, not just past gas, but even beyond supporting renewables. And I'll come back to that, Kat, because primary issue here is that you know, we need to think about the two-thirds of our economy, the two-thirds of our economy that contributes to emissions, and make sure we're bringing emissions down in that sector. Electricity actually is making some real progress, but the rest of our economy, all the other emissions from industry, from transport, from agriculture, are all predicted to go up the rest of this decade, and that's obviously not where we should be heading. And so broadening that, as the government's proposed to do, through some of the technology areas it's proposing to invest in, for example, producing steel from low emission technologies, such as hydrogen based upon renewables. Now, that's an example we did a major report on earlier this year. That's a perfect example of the sorts of things the government should be supporting and is proposing to support. Um, so I think that's the, absolutely the right direction. When it comes to renewable energy, and particularly we're talking about renewable electricity, the government has said, the Prime Minister has reinforced this, that we don't need to be subsidising renewables anymore because we've already managed to bring them down the cost curve. Putting aside the fact that most of that significant coming down the cost curve for solar and wind has been driven by policies introduced by other governments and maybe even by the Commonwealth government where the current Commonwealth government was proposing to get rid of those policies only a couple of years ago is somewhat ironic, but then we'll put that aside. I mean, the issue really is that renewables have come down the cost curve. Problem is twofold. We have to make sure that in addressing technology barriers, in the case of renewables, we address the barriers to the more aggressive uptake of those renewables that would be consistent with the most efficient way of reducing our emissions in the long term. And that means two things. Well, what are the barriers? What are the real barriers to the further uptake of renewables? And those two things are, firstly, there have been some major challenges with connecting large-scale renewables, solar farms and wind farms, to the transmission grid. It has meant that. Companies that have invested significant amounts of money, hundreds of millions of dollars, on the understanding that they would be able to connect to the transmission grid, and when they produce their electricity, export that into the grid, were that those hopes were dashed because of a whole range of issues to do with the way in which the transmission grid is structured, the way in which it's being expanded, and these sorts of things. So that's one area where the attention should be paid. Let's get rid of those barriers to make sure that renewable energy can be connected successfully to the grid and can export its power um, in a way that's efficient. 
And the second thing is that overall, the electricity market right now is fully supplied. Now that means we don't, in a, in a normal commercial sense, we don't need any more electricity. So if we want to have more renewables to drive down emissions in the electricity sector faster than they are currently moving, then you need some policy to support that. So you can always, in our view, come back to the need for some form of um, driver to drive down, either drive down emissions or increase renewables. The, the renewable energy target Commonwealth policy has now finished. In our view, you do need the longer term policy driver, which is some form of emissions policy, carbon tax, carbon price, whatever it might be. There's lots to choose from. But without that, it's hard to see the uptake of renewables accelerating in the way that would be consistent with the long term um, emissions targets that we will need. So those two areas are where the government really needs to focus and not on building things like um, new gas infrastructure, which ultimately starts to look like a, a stampeding herd of white elephants. So before we finish up, Tony, I just want to ask you too about the policy drivers you just mentioned um, for the electricity market. I'm just wondering if you could expand on that a little bit um, and why the government needs to make a decision about those and that kind of policy. One of the frustrations in Australia has been we've been thrashing around in what's called the climate wars now for most of this century, um, and we've tried lots of different policies, none of which have stuck, either politically or practically. The renewable energy target, which is the only one that survived for a while, <clears throat> is now finished. And so what is driving emissions down? Emissions are coming down because of the remaining impetus that was created by the renewable energy target, but every other area they're going up. And so while the government will claim with some degree of validity, not completely, that our emissions are overall heading towards their relatively modest target, we know that those targets are going to have to be ramped up if we are seriously going to address climate change and if Australia is seriously going to contribute to the Paris Agreement. And that is going to mean policies not just to encourage the development of low emission technologies, which is what the Technology Investment Roadmap is all about, but to deploy those technologies in electricity, in industry, in transport, and even in agriculture. And the thing that's needed there is some form of carbon price, some sort of carrot or stick so that the companies will invest in the right technologies in the most efficient way. If we keep going the way we are, if governments just choose to subsidise technology, we may very well head in the broadly in the right direction, but it'll be a damn sight more expensive and, and a damn sight less predictable if we try that approach. Thank you so much, Tony and Guy, uh, for that insight, especially around the government's new policies and recommendations and where we could go from here. We really appreciate that uh, vision of the future and some of that optimism too, Tony, from you, that we do have the capacity to make a change, but it's got to be the right one. While you're here, Grattan Institute is a non-profit organisation and we rely on donations from our wonderful listeners like you. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider donating at grattan.edu.au forward slash donate. Take care and thanks for listening. <laughs>